lift our voice one more time and do that. I will sing of the goodness. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. All my life, you have been faithful. Praise God. I love that phrase, goodness and mercy are running after me. Somebody said, where is that in the Bible? Read the 23rd Psalm. He said, goodness and mercy shall follow me. In the Hebrew, it said, goodness and mercy shall run after me. It's pursuing me. Look back behind you and mercy's back there. Look before you and goodness is before you. What are you afraid of? Come on, what are you intimidated by? If His mercy is behind you and His grace and goodness are before you, you ought to worship Him like you don't know what else to do. (laughs) Yes, Lord, we bless you, we worship you, we praise you. Praise God, praise God. What a great presence of the Lord that we feel here this morning. So good to see all of you. Why don't you take just a moment. We're going to do a baby dedication before we go into the Word. Turn to two or three people and smile and say, I have the Holy Ghost. And it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God, praise God. While you're being seated, we're going to invite Brother Andy and Sister Marlene to come and bring their family and little Victoria. And we're going to take a few moments to participate in one of the most important acts that a church can be involved in. This is by no means salvation. I know that there was a time that uh, infant baptisms and such were considered part of salvation, but it is simply the recognition of two parents. Uh, First of all, what a wonderful gift God has given, but then how much we need His help. And uh, in preparing for this morning, I could not help but think of all of the many babies that I've dedicated through the years and I never get tired of doing it. I say a lot of the same things, but it's a different set of parents every time and they all need to hear it more than one time. I said we all need to hear it more than one time. Yes. But the psalmist declared that children are God's best gift. They are God's best gift. They are God's love gift. And that our offspring is heaven's generous legacy and reward to us. I don't know of anything more blessed than a little child and the privilege that we have to influence and raise them in a way that will help them understand that their life has purpose and that God created them for a purpose. When we come to the altar as we do today, we are participating in one of the most important acts as parents that you can be involved in. And that 
is in regards to your child and how you view that child. You do view it as a gift and you do view it as a privilege to, to have and to hold, to influence. Dedicating a child is simply committing back to the Lord for his help this gift that he has given to us. And I believe that both Brother Andy and Sister Marlene recognize that. Every time I look at a child, I realize what a wonderful, amazing thing God does when he creates a human. It is so intriguing. All of the parts are there. Amen. We're not like frogs and other things that develop as they go along. But when we come into this world, all of our members have been recorded. All of our members have been noted. The color of the hair, the number of the hair, the color of the eyes, the features of the face, all of those were earmarked by God because there's not another one like Victoria. And you know that and we know that. And one of these days she's going to know that, that there's only one Victoria, this Victoria. And we're declaring by this act today that we need God's help, especially in the world in which we live. I tremble sometimes when I think of what parents are called to face in this hour in a culture that is doing everything it can to unravel the fabric of the family and to dismantle what a family means, a husband and a wife. Amen. We still believe in that around here. God God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen. If that offends you, then turn the page and read it. It's in the Word. But we're going to need the guidance of the Lord. The Lord directed me this morning to what He expects of us as parents in regards to our children. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And He said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. And on thy gates. When I read this, I realize that there is not one area of my life that God does not want to have influence in. And so it is with our children. There's not one part of her life that God does not want to have part of. And so by this act today, we are committing to the training and the raising of this child in the ways of the Lord. And the Bible said if we do that, when they are old, they will not depart from it. They will never get away from what you teach them. The most important things about God, she's going to learn from you first. By the things that you do and the things that you say. And so the first commitment tonight is of us. We commit ourselves as parents. 
And then as a congregation, this church is not just a body. This church is a family. And as a family, we have influence. And every day that we assemble in this building, we touch the lives of other children. And we need to make sure that what they see in us is reflective of what's seen in the Word of God. That it's not just on these parents, but it's on us too. That we have a responsibility. Amen. And so we first say thank you, God. What a wonderful gift. What a beautiful gift. What a precious gift. And then we mean by this time at the altar that since God is the creator of all things, then certainly he knows best the development of this life. So that's why we seek him daily. And so to this family, we ask you today to make this commitment. First of all, as a husband and wife, that you will live your life before Victoria so that she will never be in doubt of who God is and what he wants for her life. Will you do that? Do you commit today to be parents of faith, recognizing that your children are going to be more likely to see God and follow God from your influence and your witness than anywhere else? Will you do that to the best of your ability? Do you commit to lead a faith-filled home so that in that home there is a relationship that nurtures and loves and guides and has patience and is willing to go the extra mile to help save that child? Amen. And last of all, do you recognize and commit as parents today that the inherent strengths and weaknesses of your life can be overcome when you seek God and He can give you the wisdom when you don't know what to do to know what to say to this child in helping develop her and understanding that it will require prayer and time with God regularly do you commit to this amen church family let's stand together and if you're with your friend or family or if you're with somebody you don't know join hands with them anyway this is a family time amen sweet victoria queen victoria let's pray father we come to you the creator of all things, the gift that you have given to this couple and that I hold in my hands today. We are humbled by it, Lord. We are eternally grateful, Lord, for what you've given us. Now we stand today recognizing that if you do not help us, we will not always know what to do. And I'm asking today that you will touch this couple with wisdom and understanding and patience to guide them in the directing of this young child's life. And we lift up this gift to you, Lord, and say thank you. Thank you for the beauty of what you have created. And we stand in awe of the wonder of what you have done. And we say it is yours, Lord. We commit ourselves and we commit this child 
into your keeping. And we ask you to guide her life all the days that she will live. And if you would tarry your coming, that you, Lord, would find a place for her in the work of the kingdom, that she might fulfill her divine purpose. We ask these blessings and we ask this help in the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord, again for all that you have done. Amen and amen. I wish all of them were this easy, baby. Amen. Amen. Bless you. I love you. Yeah. That makes me feel good right there. Nothing like holding a child. And I am so thankful God has blessed us so richly. As of late, we've had a lot of new additions to our family, and we're thankful for that. For a few moments, go with me one more time to the book of Joshua. And I am going to read from the fifth chapter, Joshua chapter 5. And we're going to read two verses of Scripture. I would say to all of you that were not here Wednesday night, you need to go back and watch that service and hear what the word of the Lord spoke to this congregation. My brother just did an amazing job. And I'm going to pick up on the tail end of what he uh, spoke about. And I want to go a little further. Verse number 8 said, And it came to pass that when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. I want you to underscore all the people. Say that with me. All the people. You get that picture? Let me say it again. All the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. I want to talk to you again about the pursuit of purpose. And two very important things that are going to have to be a part of the fabric of our life if we are going to find and fulfill all of the purpose that God has planned for our lives and we see all of the promises that God has spoken to us. Pray with me right now. Father... I know that my words are limited and I have no ability in myself to do what needs to be done. But I know that there is an anointing that comes from you. And there is an unction of the Holy One. That if you would allow it to rest upon me for a few moments today, I believe that something of eternal consequence could be spoken in this building. 
And I believe that our lives would be changed and our lives would be touched as we have never been touched before. Help us today to have ears to hear and ears that can receive and perceive what your word declares to us. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord with me and let's give Him praise for a moment. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, lift up your voice now. I praise you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I magnify you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. I am learning anew over the last few weeks just how important God's plans and God's purposes for my life are. The more that I have read and the more that I have applied myself to the Word of God, I have come away from it with a renewed belief that God has such a wonderful plan and purpose for our lives and for this church that sometimes I wonder if we fully get what God has in mind for us. I want to look at what God says and I want to understand that the fruition, the the fulfillment of what God purposes for my life cannot be fulfilled. Its fruition cannot come to pass unless I am willing to, number one, surrender myself completely to Him, to separate myself completely to Him, and to fully follow and obey His Word. Those two things are essential if you and I are going to experience all that God has planned and purpose for us in this hour. I have also been reminded of how much God wants to bless His people. Over the last few weeks, I have been overwhelmed at how deeply I have felt God speak to me about His people and what He wants to do for His people. That He wants to bless every one of us not just individuals in this church, but God wants to bless every individual in this building and He wants every one of you to understand that today. Praise God. He wants you to understand who you are. He wants you to understand that you are not here by accident, that you are here by divine edict and order. And that what He has prepared for you, what He has prepared for you is greater than your mind can comprehend. The Bible speaks to us of us not being able to comprehend what the Lord has prepared. And we always think about that in a heavenly sense. And I do believe that that is partially true. 
But I have come to understand that God wants me to enjoy here in this world many of the blessings that I'm going to have in that other world. That heaven in many ways is not going to be a whole lot different than it is here on a Sunday morning when the Holy Ghost falls and we feel that heavenly atmosphere. That there is that heaven on earth that we can enjoy in this present moment as we make our way to that glorious occasion. Amen. You may not believe that, but I do. I believe that we have heaven on earth at times around here. And I believe that that is part of what God's will for our life comprises of. He said that in his word, that we pray that it would be in earth as it is in heaven. So if we pray that way, then we need to believe that that's what God wants to do in our lives. Somebody say amen. What has he prepared for them? He said in Jeremiah 29 and 11, For I know the thoughts, I know the plans, I know the purposes that I think toward you, saith the Lord, and they are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I'm telling you tonight, or to this morning that God wants to bless every person in this building. I want you to take your pointing finger and I want you to turn it right back this way and I want you to say, God wants to bless me. Amen. Now some of you don't really believe that yet, but I'm going to try to convince you of that before this is over. God wants to bless you. How do I know that? Well, I know that by one phrase that is used over and over in the book of Joshua. I found it at least 27 times repeated over and over and over. And it was in regards to what happened with those people. And the scripture said, all the people. Say that with me. All the people. All the people. All the people. When I started thinking about all the people earlier this week and I tried to wrap my mind around what that must have meant. All the people. Now you're talking about the, 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 the tribes of, of Israel and there were 12 in number and you look at all of those individual tribes and the diversity. Brother, brother Starch, you're gonna have to do a Bible study one night on the diversities of those seven, or, or those twelve sons. How different they were. Their personalities, uh, all of their abilities, all of their giftings, uh, all of their idiosyncrasies. Uh, I am certain, knowing what I know about people, that there were times that those twelve clashed. Uh, but here the word said, all of the people, not just a few of them, not a select holy number of them, but all of the people went over and all of the people participated and all of the people obeyed the Lord. All of the people. God wants all of the people. Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, 
Manasseh and Ephraim who were Joseph's two sons. Benjamin, Gad, Asher, Dan, Naphtali. All of those men were diverse. And I have no doubt in my mind that there must have been times that those diversities put them at odds with one another. But there came a moment in time when God said you better put your differences aside because I have something, a purpose greater for you than your differences. There are things about you that are alike and I want you to focus on those things that you are alike on. All the people, all the people and their uniqueness, all of the people. I I can't even imagine. I don't know how many people were here. A million, two million. I can't even comprehend that. I mean, I, I know what kind of challenges as a pastor I've had in 30 years of trying to lead just a handful of people. And boy, I'm going to tell you what. It has tried my patience more than one time. Yeah. As much as we like each other, sometimes we don't. But God said there is a purpose and a plan that is so important at this hour. You can't afford to be divided. You can't afford to break up into your little camps. You can't afford to get in your little huddle or get your little group around you and say, come on, let's see what we can do. You need to join hands with that person across the aisle. You need to link hands with that person on the other side of the church. You need to raise your hands and say, hey, I'm one of them. I am one of them. And I am going all in and all out with everything that is in me to do what God has planned for my life. All the people, all the people, that phrase has spoken to me this week, that God has planned and purpose for everyone. Everyone. You know, sometimes in a church, certain people do certain things and we think they're the only people that can do that. Really, the only reason they're doing that is because you're not doing that. Is that not the truth? We volunteer around here. We don't conscript soldiers for the most part. But a lot of times we get so comfortable letting somebody else do it. And somebody else carry that burden. And carry that load. And handle that responsibility. And we just think, well that's their job. Hey, everybody's got a job in this church. Everybody's got a purpose in this church. Everybody has a plan for your life in this church. And what God has purposed for this church in this hour is going to require every one of us laying down our little differences and laying aside whatever we don't like about one another and realize that there is a divine purpose that is greater than my own personality. It's greater than my priorities. It's greater than anything that I myself can think. There is a mind of the Spirit that I must get connected to. That when I do get connected to that mind of the Spirit, I will join hands. I will reach across the aisle. There will be nobody that I pass by. I will love everybody. I will embrace everybody. 
Praise God. Oh, yeah, I knew I was going to get a lot of help. All of the people speaks of a spirit of unity. For them to fulfill God's purpose for their life. For God to do what he wanted to do at this present moment in their life. They had to be united. Everybody has a better idea. Ford has a better idea. But I think GM and Chrysler and all of those other automotive industries will say they have ideas too. But in a church... So many times the flow of the Spirit gets jammed up and clogged up because we have an idea and we contend for our idea. And God spoke to me this week and said, if you're going to go where I want to take you, you're going to have to lay down your agenda. You're going to have to lay down your idea. You're going to have to believe that there's a higher idea, that there's a higher mind, that there's a higher purpose, and get connected to that purpose and not get lost in my own. Psychologists have come to understand that in a in a congregation of a hundred people, there will be a hundred and one mindsets. There is the individual mindset of all one hundred. But for it to be effective, there has to be a one mind that everybody connects to and they push their mind aside and they say this has a greater purpose this has a greater reason for me to give myself to it this has greater blessing this has greater miracles connected to it I can tell you right now that when Israel went in and into that promised land the only time they faced defeat is when somebody come back and told Joshua we don't all need to go all we need to do is send a few thousand and we can take care of AI and they went and got chased back home and it threw Israel into a funk until they understood that God never intended for them to do this conquering as individuals he intended them to do it together Together, 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 together. There were three tribes that chose to live on the west bank of the Jordan River and not go fully into the land of promise that God had given to Abraham. And God allowed them to do that. But when it came to the crossing of the Jordan, Joshua said to these three tribes, You're not staying behind. You're going to go with us. And all three of those tribes crossed over that Jordan with them. They didn't have anything to lose in that land. Their property was back there. Their promise was already theirs. And they already had what they wanted. But he said, we're not doing this as a divided people. We're not doing this without you being involved. God wants all the people. He wants the entire congregation connected to that one mind. That one spirit and that one heart. Amen. He wants that unity 
where there is no room for any other agenda, where there is no room for any other mind, where there is no room for any other allegiance, when they will follow the leading of God's Spirit and the leading of God's man, and there is no divided loyalties. I want to tell you right now that in the hour in which we live, there is nothing that delights the devil more, not, not than a, a church that doesn't pray. That's not what, in, what, what that I will tell you that doesn't bother him near as much as a divided church. Because in a divided church, there can be a part of that church that's praying, but everybody's not praying for the same thing. And the devil said, you're not going anywhere. Because you're going to keep stumbling over each other. You're going to keep seeing something wrong in the other person. You're going to keep arguing about things you don't need to argue about. Do you realize that when Russia was being overtaken by the communist regime at the turn of the century, that the men who were the leaders of the church were locked in a room debating on the color of the fringes of their robes when outside the walls of the church, the city and the town was being taken by an anti-God atheist ideology and I'm telling you that if you're not careful we can sit inside our little holy huddle and we can get so enamored with what we do that we forget that the world outside us is being taken it's being taken and God said hey wake up church wake up church quit fighting among yourself quit arguing about your differences realize that I have a purpose I have a plan I have a purpose for all of you together that I want you to accomplish. We have no room but for that one mind. And when that happens, when we get in that one mind, I'm going to tell you what happens next. Pentecost happens next. The power of Pentecost comes. The demonstration the miracles, the sovereign works of God's Spirit. I'm telling you today that God is calling Greater Life Church to a time of unification of our minds and our hearts. And if we look, and I'm going to tell you right now, some of you don't want to look because you don't want to admit that you have an agenda or you have a difference or you don't like this or you don't like that. And you get so caught up in some peripheral thing. You're looking at the shoes. You're looking at the head. You're looking at the heart. You're looking at all the clothes. And you make a judgment on what I am and you say hey I don't know if I like him listen I'm telling you I'm more than what you see right here and you're more than what I see right there hey there's something in all of us that unifies us and makes us one it makes us one and that's what our heart has to be on that's what my mind has to be on that's what my spirit has to reach for It doesn't matter whether I'm in this pulpit or that man right there is in this pulpit. We are the men God has chosen to lead this church in this hour. And we need you to make up your mind. We are one. We are one. We are one.
Hallelujah. 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 When we begin to pursue that oneness of mind, a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost is going to take place. United, one heart, all the people. All the people. Did that mean all their differences went away? Nope. didn't go away and I'm sure every once in a while they rubbed each other the wrong way but they never lost sight of that one thing they were supposed to be doing let let me tell you how important that is if you read on over to the 10th chapter I read the first 12 chapters early this morning just to make sure my mind wasn't forgetting anything but there were five kings that when they heard of all that Israel was doing as it came into the promised land Five kings aligned themselves together and they said, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to come together to stop this. And so these five kings come against them and, and the Lord gave Israel victory. They, they, the Lord caused hailstones to fall and more died from the stones that fell than those that were slain by the sword. And the next thing you know, those five kings have escaped. And they've run and hid in a cave. And word comes to Joshua. Hey, the five kings are in the cave. Let's go get them. And Joshua understood that if that were to happen, that they would lose the momentum. They would, the focus was not on the five kings. The focus was on driving out the inhabitants of the land. God said, you're going to get rid of the king when you get rid of the inhabitants of the land. I'm telling you, when you drive some things out of your life, you're going to drive the king of that thing out of your life as well. And you're going to be able to deal with that. But he said, hey, I want to tell you what you do. You go roll a stone over the mouth of that cave and leave some men there to watch it. But everybody else, you keep heading in the direction you were headed. You keep doing what you were doing. It's not time to be distracted by some secondary thing going on in the cave. And I will tell you that as a pastor, and I will tell, this man can agree with me as my co-pastor, that there is nothing that is more frustrating as a leader than to see people who are distracted by these minor things and we get distracted by these kings in the cave and we think that's where we need to put our emphasis. I'm telling you that's not where we need to put our emphasis. We need to pursue. We need to keep going. We need to keep reaching. We need to keep believing for what God said he would give us. I need to hurry on. Please, I'm not mad this morning. Some of you probably think I'm mad because we got... I'm not preaching about problems. I'm preaching about what will limit us if we don't understand it in pursuing our promises. And it's going to take a unified spirit. We don't have to agree on everything, but we're going to agree in spirit. Somebody say it with me. I'm going to agree in spirit. I'm, gonna, I'm going to agree in spirit. The second thing 
that God has been dealing with me about and it was magnified Wednesday night when my brother spoke from this passage that we read said we cannot experience all God has purposed for us until we get our hearts in alignment with his plan and that was done so by the circumcision that was necessary for them to reconnect with that old covenant and re-identify themselves and this is what is so staggering he said when you do that then the reproach of Egypt is going to be rolled off of you what is the reproach of Egypt I've been I've looked everywhere trying to find an answer to, to the reproach of Egypt what is the reproach of Egypt and if you look you'll find there are many scholars that will argue different ideologies about what that phrase means but let me just use the word reproach first let's look at the meaning it means shame disgrace contempt and literally taunting the reproach of Egypt is the taunting of something that had happened to this people that they still carried with them to this day. And he said, it's time to cut it off. It's time for it to be cut away. And that's what that circumcision was part of. And much has been debated about what is meant to that. But I believe that it was the stigma of the past that clung to them of who they were what they had been how they had failed this is what Edersheim who was a Greek a Jewish historian Albert Edersheim said he said that the reason that this is mentioned in scripture is because in Israel's 400 years of occupation or living in Egypt They had lost their identity as God's people. You could not tell the difference between them and an Egyptian. They had assimilated. They had adopted. They had moved in with. They had embraced. They had adapted. They had blended in. They had conformed to. They had adjusted to not only Egypt in the physical, but Egypt in the spiritual. And Edersheim says that the reason that God told Israel to put blood on their doorpost is because they so resembled the Egyptian at that time that there was no other way for him to distinguish who they were. And the blood is still the distinguishing mark of God's people. And that blood that is upon our lives is a blood of separation. And it is a blood of identification. And it is a blood that connects us with the power of the Almighty. The power of Elohim. The power of the creating God. The God who spoke and worlds came into existence. And he said, I need you to get reconnected to who I made you to be. 
I need you to get reconnected to who I called you and designed you to be in your life. Praise God. The spirit of Egypt was on them. They're thinking they thought like Egyptians. And I don't know, perhaps in my mind, in my way of thinking, this taunting was their own minds reminding them of how they had failed. And that seems to be the thing that holds every person back from really living for God the way God wants them to. Is those reminders that your own mind speak to you and tell you, I know what you did. I know what you said. You're never going to get over that. You never can outlive that mistake. You'll never be better than that. You're going to wear that the rest of your life. That's going to identify you the rest of your life. And God said, I'm telling you right now, there's some things you are not taking into the promised land. And one of them is that identity. You're going to identify yourself with me. And you're going to do that by the circumcision of your flesh. And we do that by the circumcision of our heart. And it was at Gilgal that God took 400 years of history and he rolled it off of their back. I don't know what kind of history you have on you right now but I'm telling you there is a cutting away of the spirit that God said I want to do where that's going to be rolled off of you. That's going to be rolled away from you so that you are not condemned and you are not intimidated and you are not made to feel worthless because of what you have done. Come on let's clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. A different spirit was to be upon them and a changed heart was to lead them. They were no longer going to act like they had acted. They were no longer going to look like they had looked. They were no longer going to just blend in and embrace the culture in which they had lived. But they were going to come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. And touch not that unclean thing. He said, I want you to be holy because I am holy. And I understand that holiness is a whole lot more than what you wear. As a matter of fact, if that's all the holiness you have, you don't have holiness. Holiness starts here. It starts down in the heart. It starts with the identity of how you think, how you act, how you speak. It does that. And then as it does that, it moves out into your outer life. And there is an evidence out there. But Pentecostal people have far too long relied on an outward holiness while they have been unholy in their heart. And I'm telling you that God is speaking to Greater Life Church. And He's saying it's time to roll a history off of your back. It's time to roll away the reproach of Egypt. It's time to roll away the intimidating voices. It's time to roll away the taunting voice. It's time to stand up and realize you are my people and I have called you to this hour. I have called you to this moment. I have called you to this time. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand together. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, 
I believe God is wanting us to experience a Gilgal moment. I don't know if it's slave thinking that you can't break away from. I don't know if it's the intimidation of your own failures. I mean, Israel knew what they had done when they were in Egypt. They knew how they had backslidden. They knew what they had embraced. They knew what they had grown to love. They knew what they had failed God in concerning His commandments. And all the way through the journey in the wilderness, evidently that haunted them. It spoke to them after day after day after day after day. You're never going to make it. It's all a fantasy. It's just a... It's just somebody's overzealous, excited thinking. This promised land. This special place God's calling us to. This church that you're talking about. It's just a fantasy. It's just your imagination. And God said, I want you to cut away that kind of thinking because it's not your imagination. It is my mind that I want to fulfill. It is my purpose that I want to bring to pass. And there's a reproach that he said needs to be rolled off. I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn us as a people. But I am speaking to myself first before I speak to you. But I will tell you that last night I laid in this place. And I begged God to help me. Whatever there is in my life that would prevent me from going into the fullness of what you have prepared for us in this hour and what you have envisioned for Greater Life Church at this moment in time. God, help me to get that knife out and cut it away. The reproach of Egypt, the condemnation, all of that mind that keeps coming back about your failures and your past. He said, I need you to cut it off. You don't need that kind of thinking in a new land. You don't need that kind of mind in a new opportunity. Cut it away. Cut it away. feel like God's moving right now in this place and we need to obey Him. I'm asking you to make an altar wherever you are or if you want to come to the front, I want you to make an altar right now. We need to make an altar unto the Lord and decide today that we're going to be of that one mind and we're going to be of that one spirit and our language and our conversation is going to reflect that oneness of mind and that oneness of spirit and that we are going to join our hearts with the hearts of all of these others in pursuing that divine purpose for our life. Come on everybody, 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 everybody. Oh, Torianda Rabahasatarai.